Hello. I am going to skip the very long introduction today that I normally do um, because I have two fabulous guests and I want to get started. And I have a feeling that this podcast is going to go a little bit longer than the hour that I usually uh, usually go. And um, so I don't want to waste uh, another minute on my cute little introduction that I normally do. So welcome. Welcome, everyone, to She Became Visible. And um, I hope that many of you are following us on um um, oh, let's see. I don't know if I put you in. I don't know if I put put us in live on Gray Go Gray Dame on YouTube today because I'm I want to allow for editing if we have to. So I might not be live on YouTube, but I will be eventually. By this evening, it'll be up on YouTube on uh, Go Gray Dame and Mormon Discussions. That's where you'll be able to find it on YouTube. It is going live right now on Facebook under She Became Visible. So if any of you are watching or would like to watch, how would you know if you're not watching and it's not live? So anyway, welcome to any of you that are watching it live. So today we're going to be talking about something that I don't think I've heard covered a lot. I've, there are a lot of other podcasts out there that have uh, interviewed people with their experience of serving a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I want you to know how hard it is for me to say that. Mm -hmm. um, but for uh, any of you that aren't familiar with that very long title, I'm referencing the Mormon church. So there are many young people that have been interviewed, a few uh, people that have served senior missions, but mostly uh, the experiences that I've seen on Facebook or on YouTube or, or any of the other podcast platforms is youth who have served missions and then what their experience was. And it definitely varies. And there is nothing that says this is the standard experience for missionaries. Every experience is unique, whether you're a youth going on a mission at 18 or 19, um, or whether you're a senior couple that has chosen to go on a mission. And I think I'll check with Jean, but I think even as a single woman, you can go on a mission now. I think that's true. So uh, as an elderly uh, person. So anyway, uh, it's it's a very interesting experience. And before I bring Jean and her daughter on, I wanted to tell you a little bit about my experience with my parents. Uh, my parents lived in Missouri. And so they chose, I think the first mission that they chose to uh, serve in was a um, administrative mission for the church in the um, offices in Missouri. And so they lived at home. They basically just went to work every day, which was a volunteer uh, service that they did for the church. And my dad, that was kind of his thing. He always did office accounting work. And my mom was a great, uh, what you'd call a secretary or an administrator in this day and age. And she was really good at it. She was a fabulous organizer. And oh, and by the way, hi, mom. I just wanted to say hi to you. I, I think my mom is secretly listening uh, in a closet somewhere. But anyway, um, she's great organizer, great, great secretary. She's done that for a, a long time in her life. That was her career. Anyway, they served a mission there. They enjoyed their service mission in Missouri. And then they uh, moved, decided to uh, move to Oregon, a little bit closer to where my brother and I were living. And so it was a huge sacrifice for them. Uh, cost of living was quite a bit less in Missouri than it was in Oregon. And um, they were living in a community that had this program where they had built what they called patio homes, which were fabulous, fabulous homes, very well built. 
And the, the way that it was set up was that you basically owned the inside of the home, but the community, the HOA or however it was set up, took care of your roof, your sidewalks, your yard, and all of the outside maintenance. And, and that's you didn't have to take care of that. The HOA took care of it. And it was fabulous. And they, they had a house with a basement. Everybody has a basement in the Midwest. It's fabulous. And um, so they were, they were on their road to complete retirement and maybe paying off a home. And, and after all the years of moving around and things, they were kind of on a pathway of maybe retiring with a little bit more of a secure income. So anyway, then they, we kind of talked them into moving out to Oregon and I feel badly that we did because we didn't even take under consideration the cost of living. So they moved to Oregon. The, uh, the only home that they could find that was in their price range was way out. If any of you are familiar with Oregon, it was way out in banks, which is on your way to the coast. And, um, there was, it was, a it was a drive. And if any of you are familiar with Portland and the traffic and the 1940s highway system that's set up there, it was, there was one way to get to Banks, Oregon, and that was on Highway 26. And that was also the only way to get to Beaverton, Hillsboro, and a lot of the other subdivisions from Portland, and the only way to get back into Portland. So it was a huge freeway mess. Anyway, so they lived out there for a while. And then I think financially, they decided, you know what, this really isn't working for us. And so we're going to move into kind of a retirement community where, you know, almost like what you'd see, they're building a lot of them now where there's degrees. You start out as just a retired couple in your own apartment. And then if you need to, you could move into assisted living. And then if that's, if it even, you know, you can even get any kind of Alzheimer's or dementia care if you have to. So they started out in their own apartment. They moved into this brand new, really hyped up retirement community. And, um, as a lot of them are, I'm sorry, I will go on the record for saying it's kind of a scam. They they cost a lot. I mean, they were paying over $3,000 a month and that included food and they were supposed to transport you here, there and everywhere. And, um, you know, they had a fabulous chef there until the place was completely occupied. And then that chef was gone. They brought in, you know, the guy from IHOP and now they're just getting, you know, uh, head lettuce and spaghetti every night. It was just really a, a scam. And so they decided, you know what, we're just going to take a break. We're just going to take a break. We, we don't want to deal with this anymore. We're going to serve another mission. So they put their papers in. And now these, these people are, they're living on fixed income now. Okay. They might, and my dad being an accountant, he's watching every penny and they put in their, their paperwork. And I don't know if they just left it open. I don't know. I don't have all the details on to why they, they, and this was quite a few years ago. This was, this has been over 10 years ago. Um, and so I don't know whether they just, it was like a, an 18 year old putting in their papers. They didn't get to choose where they could go or they were just very faithful and said, no, you tell us wherever you want us to go. Anyway, they put their paperwork in and they got a call to serve in the New York city temple mission. And my dad was devastated. He came to America in the fifties as a young man working for cook travel and landed in New York, and he was living the best life, best bachelor life, until he got caught up in a scam where uh, people would jump in front of your car, pretend that they that you had hit them, and then sue you. 
And that was traumatizing for my dad. He had someone do that to him. And after all of it was over, he was like, I'm out of here. I hate this place. And he moved out of New York and moved to Illinois where his sister was living. And that's where he met my mom and blah, blah, blah. But regardless, he had a very bad taste in his mouth for New York. He did not like that place at all. He did not want to go there. And he knew how expensive it was. So we, my husband and I agreed that we would pay, you know, the church compensates for some of the cost of living in New York. They were literally at Lincoln Square and Lincoln Center, which is a very high end part of New York. It was very expensive. The church owns the property that, that the, the, they take up the whole block where the temple is and where all of these apartments are. And they own it. They own it. And yet my parents is, I think they own it. Maybe I'm saying something out of out of line, but I'm pretty sure that they that there is some property ownership there. I know they own the temple area, but I don't know about the apartment complex. Anyway, so they compensated, but we still had to pay $1,600 a month. And then the church paid the other part of the um, rent for this little one bedroom apartment they were living in. It was very stressful. My dad would put a picture of the groceries that they had bought that day. And he would be like two oranges, a tube of toothpaste and a, you know, half a gallon of milk. And he'd be like, this cost me $45 or something. He hated living there, but they were very, you know, faithful and they served in the mission. And what I didn't understand, and this is what Jean is going to tell us about was they, the church does not provide, obviously this is not paid. This is all volunteer. The church does not pay for any kind of medical coverage. And my parents had Kaiser. If any of you are familiar with Kaiser, Kaiser is a Pacific Northwest, California, Oregon, Washington. I don't think it goes any further than those three states. And that was their insurance. And so they basically did not have any medical coverage while they were serving their mission. And when the, the temple closed down for, they closed down every year for a couple of weeks to clean, repair, and things like that. So when the temple closed down, my parents flew all the way back to Oregon to do dental work and to have physical checkups. And it was at that checkup that they found out that my dad um, was basically having uh, some blockage in his heart. And he ended up the next day in triple bypass surgery and their mission was over. And um, what happened was, my husband and I had to fly with my mother back to New York, pack up their apartment, pay to have everything sent, and then um, find a place for them to live when they got back to Oregon because their mission was cut uh, short. So that was my experience with, with seniors on a mission. It was very traumatic. It was very costly. Um, and it was like, I and because I was so naive and still a true believing member, I really didn't get into all of the grimy details about what the church pays for and what they don't pay for. So let me bring in my fabulous guests, uh, and we're going to talk about that today. I want to welcome back, first of all, Jean. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. And if any of you remember Jean, uh, she was a podcast guest about a month ago. It's been almost exactly a month ago. And Jean has, Jean and I have a lot in common. We have very, very fabulous, wonderful husbands who put up with strong-willed women. <laughs> and, and Jean and I both were like, once we found out more historical truths and more truths about the foundation of the Mormon church, both of us were like, see ya, 
bye, we're out of here. And her husbands were like, but, 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 but wait, wait. And, but they're still around. They're still around. And we have a lot of that in common, but, and we talked uh, last time about Jean and her experience of leaving the church and um, moving and all of that. And one of the things she touched on a month ago was a mission that her and her husband chose to serve and but that's going to be the main topic today because it's it's horrific and it's not unique and we're going to bring on Jean's daughter Kelly and let me do that Kelly how are you Hi I'm great thanks You are just as beautiful as your mother I love I love when I see family mom. resemblance I'm sorry <laughs> what did you say I Got it from my mama You did you did and I love how much you look alike um, it's, I, I don't know why it's, it's a weird obsession with me, but I love looking at families and seeing the physical things that, oh, you have your dad's eyes. Oh, you have your mom's nose, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I, this just warms my heart. I do that with my own children. And as they age, I see them looking more like their dad or, you know, my daughters. I mean, the one daughter, everybody says, oh my gosh, she looks exactly like you, but I actually see myself more in my other daughter. And uh, it's just so, I just think it's so fun, but you definitely look like your mom, which is a beautiful compliment. Yeah. So it's very lucky for me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> we won't get into what dad looked like then. <laughs> so Kelly was going through something at the same time, her parents were serving a mission. And that's why Kelly's with us today. She's going to be sharing her experience as a child while the senior parents, and she's an adult, but she is their child. And they're off serving a mission. And if many of you, are, if any of you are familiar with the way the church was set up, uh, it's completely different now because it changes every freaking day. Um, but in the past, the way that it was set up is once you made a commitment to serve a mission, you promised that you were there and it did not matter what was going on in your family. You had made a commitment to serve the Lord. And even if you had deaths, uh, illness, uh, catastrophes. Let's say you had some kind of a hurricane and your house was completely wiped out. Too bad. So sad. You're out there on your mission. Uh, you don't go home. And so there's many stories of young men whose parents died or a sibling died and they weren't allowed to leave their missions and go back for the funeral. And Jean and Kelly kind of um, experienced this same thing. And Jean, I'll let you talk now and tell a little bit about um, what your experience was, how you and your husband chose to serve a mission and just talk a little bit about the process. And Kelly, if you wanna just interject at any time, uh, talk about when they were putting in their papers or when they were talking about going on a mission and where you were at in your life. So I want it to be a, a kind of a conversation between Kelly and Jean, and I'm just gonna sit back and listen if you don't mind, so. <laughs> All right, Mama, go. Okay, go. <laughs> okay, I, I don't I don't really know where to begin on this. We uh, I had always wanted to go on a mission, and I, I talked about that in our last podcast, that even when I was a little girl, I wanted to go on a mission, and I wanted to go to Africa, and that's where I got to go, to South Africa, and I loved it. I mean, honestly, it was... It was an amazing experience, aside from all the trauma. Um, just being in South Africa, being with those lovely people, I just loved it. In fact, let me show you this. Like my my house is full 
of these kinds of things because I just, I can't get over Africa. I left my heart there. Um, but when I went on, on my mission, um, when we were down in the MTC, uh, I phoned Kelly the night before we left to find out how things were doing because they were already uh, treating Mark and he was getting really sick. Um, he had cancer and um, this Mark is Kelly's husband. And yeah, that's what so I was going to say, Jean. First, first I had, so he was Jean, having alternative whoo. treatments. Okay, Jean, just for a second, um, go back and give a little bit of background or Kelly, maybe you could give a little background of where your husband was at health wise and yeah. what you guys were experiencing. And then you, you knew this, you were aware of this, but uh, so go let Kelly talk a little bit about where Mark was. And then Kelly, are you Jean's oldest child? No, I'm the middle. You're the middle. Okay. Okay. So you're the middle child. Just How a bad one. Oh. <laughs> oh, I love you. <laughs> the and middle then, child. Okay. And then what about uh, girl-wise? How many girls? I have a little sister. Okay. So a boy and two two girls. So two you're the boys. middle child. There's two, two boys. boys, then me, and then a girl, and then a boy. Okay. Okay. So you are her first girl, right? Yeah. And yeah. you are, so talk a little bit about what you're going through and mom is excited, right? You and Jim are like, we're putting in our papers. And, and also Jean, were you um, at the time allowed to designate where you wanted to go no. on a mission? No. Oh, no me? I mean, you could mom? suggest. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you okay, could so let me, let me bow back out again. And Kelly, talk a little bit about where you were when mom was excited yeah. and putting in her papers. Okay, so I'm going to back well, out. Well, when we found out Mark was sick, it was already stage four cancer. Um, so uh, they did a colon resection. Um, but sorry, geez, that was early on. Um, it was too late already. So um he wasn't a candidate uh, for a liver transplant, even though there was a list of people who wanted to donate because the cancer was everywhere already. So um, we just, we prayed a lot about it and we decided that um, chemotherapy would like, it wouldn't work probably, but it'd be like having a mouse infestation in your garage and throwing in a hand grenade and yeah, it might get rid of the mice, but the garage will be killed too. So. We decided to try a whole bunch of alternative stuff. And since he was a chiropractor, it gave us access to some things that we wouldn't have had. Um, but we tried everything. And uh, at first it seemed like maybe we were having some success. He had a half, 50% um, tumor reduction. He was working part-time. And um, everyone was praying for him and fasting. Every religion seeks and Catholics were doing masses and I believed so firmly that he was going to get better. I believe in the priesthood. I believed in fast. I believed in his patriarchal blessing. And so when my mom said she wanted to go on her mission, it, it didn't feel like she was abandoning me. I just thought, well, that's what Heavenly Father wants. So she should go and of course, we'll be dynamite. 
any flinch could have been enough to take Markle. So um, question that that's what God wanted. So I was excited for her to get to go to Africa because she always wanted to go. So that's where I was at. Okay, so you you were definitely under the um, the entire so? sacrifice, right? Yeah, but you were under the sacrifice will bring blessings, and the more you sacrifice, the more your family will be blessed, even if it's not on this earth. In, in the eternities, your sacrifice was and, and recorded. So, yeah, I t I taught her that. Yeah. And that was the attitude that I had. Yeah. So I passed that on to her because I, I think I told you in, in the last interview that I didn't really believe that Mark would recover because I knew how bad that cancer mm. was. So I didn't really believe he would recover, but that's what Kelly was hoping for. That's what all of us were hoping for, right. but I didn't believe it. So I thought if I went on a mission, I would prove to God that I trusted him, right. that, that he would take care of this and that he wouldn't leave my daughter a widow or my grandchildren without a dad. Right. So I, I thought that I would be doing something that would help to make, to make him get better. Yeah. Like, look, look, look what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm even going to leave my family and go on a mission and we're praying and we're fasting and look, what else could we do? I mean, I'm sure you would have done anything, but it, there again, this is on your, on your list. What I can, what we can do to show the Lord how faithful we are. And Kelly mentioned yeah. a little bit, you mentioned uh, your husband's patriarchal blessing. What was it? What was in the patriarchal blessing that made you think that in spite of the that the cancer hadn't metastasized and, and that you felt like, no, we're going to beat this. Well, early twenties, right. He joined just before our first baby was born and under no duress for me. I just would like to point that out. Um, and, uh, uh, I had this fear since I got my patriarchal blessing when I was 15, that I'd be widowed. Uh, hmm. um, um, Mom, do you remember when we got my copy mail? It wasn't in there, and we talked about it, and we we're like, it sort of seemed like I was going to be a widow. Do you remember that? No, I don't, Mom? Kelly. No. Oh, okay. I do. <laughs> anyway, and uh, I didn't realize they edited patriarchal blessings either, so I assumed that that paper copy was actually what I heard. And um, anyway, so from that time on, I kind of whatever was in there, what I had, he said, I just sort of knew I was going to be widowed. And I was so afraid. And if Mark was late, like five minutes late, I would be like at the window, just so worried that he was dead. Like that something had happened to him and he would just vanish because it just seemed like that. And uh, so um, my patriarchal blessing only ever talked about me being able to protect my children and never mentioned him. And it bothered me a lot. And then when he got his blessing, um, so now we have a baby about to be born. Um, it said that uh, that he would live to a ripe old age on the earth, that angels would protect him, whether he traveled by land or sea or air. They would go before him, that he would have power to restore sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, even to raise the dead if necessary. So no, I didn't think he would die. 
And that was, that was a, um, almost an answer to your prayers where you were so worried about being a widow or a yeah. widow. And then you, he gets his patriarchal blessing and you're like, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yes. for Yeah. Yeah. And then I could sort of stop worrying about it. And he always right. worried something would happen to me. And then it, it was him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting patriarchal. I, I don't think I've heard a blessing with that strong of a confirmment of where, you know, a ripe old age that you'd be able to cure the sick, yeah. and, you know, that's amazing. That's a lot of pressure. It also told him who he was in the pre-existence and what he did. Like I'd never, I've never heard a blessing quite like that. Um, oh it was shocking at the time. Uh, it was just like kind of a jaw dropping thing. Um, oh, well, turns out it was just good fiction, but, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. Talk I remember, about. I remember the part uh -huh. in his patriarchal blessing where it says that he led out with Michael, the archangel, uh, in the battle in heaven and all that stuff. That he led, he it led, made him seem like he was it made it made it seem like he was just the most wonderful person in the pre-existence and now and god had all these plans for him so how could he possibly die including right. being a bishop it said so and, and even, yeah, even yeah. higher callings so he we had not time so none of that could how could he die obviously he couldn't right and god and do this this was about 21 years ago. I, I'm, I'm so sorry that we're actually coming up to the yeah. actual uh, date that he passed away on the 4th of July. And yeah. I'm so, I'm so sorry for this loss. I, I hate that there are holidays almost because when you have someone pass on these, well, I don't, you guys don't celebrate the 4th of July, but um, you know, oh, you do. Yeah. Where are you at Kelly? I'm in Canada, but you know, oh, okay. All right. I celebrate Mark's freedom on the 4th of July. Oh, I love that. I love that. But, you know, we ha I have an uncle. My son passed away on Christmas Day, my granddaughter's birthday. And it's, you know, my son-in-law passed away on September 11th. And so every year yeah. they, you know, they go through the whole 9-11 right. thing. And I, mean, I hate these holidays that take away your own family grief and put it in you. It's almost like you can't say anything. Well, it's 4th of July. I don't want to, you know, put anybody yeah. down and grieve, you know, authentically. I hate that. But yeah, you know, I'm so sorry for can't so. But this, as I said, 21 years ago. So he was a fairly young man. How old was he when he passed on? 34. That's yeah. amazing. When That's we would be at the cancer center and we'd sit in the waiting room, um, there's all these old people. That, <laughs> they seemed old to me because I was 30, 32 or 31, and mm -hmm. uh, and then they'd call his name and and he, we would stand up. And there'd just be a gasp in the waiting room. And they'd be like, oh, we thought you were here to pick up your dad or your grandpa or something. You're like, mm, right. no. Right. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was young even, even then. Like, it just made no sense. Right. And the doctors you know, acknowledged that. They were like, you're awfully young to have this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They said it had probably been growing for eight years by the time we found out. And he hadn't, he hadn't seen a doctor in 10, over 10 years because he was just a healthy rugby playing chiropractor daddy loving no, guy no symptoms yeah um he had stomach aches when, when he was a student he was a, a chiropractic student we lived in portland oregon for three years okay and uh he would he would eat his breakfast and kind of like have to rock back and forth and but we did 
I would try to get him to see a doctor, but like we're student, he's a student there. So like medical coverage is a bit weird for us. Right. And um, you can't have any pre-existing medical conditions and things like that. So he just also, he's super tough and had a really high pain threshold. So like you could probably cut his arm off and he'd say he didn't need stitches or he'd do it himself. Like that's just kind of how he looks. Yeah, for sure. Should have, so, should have been on a horse with a rifle, right? <laughs> oh, he would have been if he was born then, I assure you. So um, yeah, when we came back to Canada, he kept saying, well, when we go back home to Canada, then I can go to the doctor and like deal with this. And then when we came home, my mom kept saying, Mark, you look sick. Like you're like a weird color. Like you're so pale. And he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to have an ulcer. I should go to the doctor. Meanwhile, he's setting up his practice and, you know, all the stuff. And we were buying our first house and three kids in school. And so he just didn't go. And then um, one day he said to me, I'm not, I don't feel well. I think I'm depressed. And Mark had never been depressed a day in his life. Like he didn't even cry. Like he never cried ever. He was just a really, really very calm person. And I was like, what are you for? I said, me, I'm not on her, but he, he's very athletic, was. And uh, so we start running together. And all of a sudden, wait, is just dropping. You know, I had night sweats. And I was like, isn't that like a sign of cancer? Not if you're a menopausal woman, obviously. And uh, he said, well, yeah, it can be. And I said, then you have to go see a doctor, Mark. Like, you've been putting this off for years. And he said, well, I'll see if I can run into my friend. His friend is an endocrinologist who works in the same clinic. I'll see if I can run into him. And I said, no, you're not going to see if you can run into him. And gone in there. And he, his wife won't get the appointment. You won't get out of it. So uh, he said, okay, fine, I'll go. And uh, so they started doing tests and everything kind of came back not great but he was so it's not cancer for sure way too healthy for that and then it was he got his own result he was at the clinic and no so then he hears like the printer going off at the reception area so he walks out and grabs it off the printer and reads and it's a stage four they just reorientation and, and he's like checks the doctor's name just thinking how is this and then he just walked back into his friend's office who was just sobbing because he just got that over the phone and um yeah that was the beginning and wow then so tried to go we're gonna yeah kelly i'm gonna Sorry. i'm gonna uh, I'm going to put you, I'm going to put your, you're cutting in and out a little bit. Your, your Wi-Fi is a little bit sketchy. So you're kind of going in and out, but um, I, I don't know if there's anything oh. you can do about that. I don't know what that's where you're at or part of the house or whatever. But so Jean, I'm going to let you take over here for a little bit. Um, as Kelly is going through all of this now, uh, as you mentioned, they were living in Portland with, we, we lived in Northeast Portland with, in, in the ward with all the chiropractic naturopath students. It was hilarious. It was the favorite thing was when my husband would play basketball and somebody would trip. And, like, yeah. And this in 50,000 chiropractic students would run over there to readjust his ankle or whatever. It was, it was very fun. <laughs> but um, so Jean, talk about what you were doing when now you know mark's going through all of this and you're in canada they're in 
and they're, you know, like you say, babies coming and starting a life and all this. And so, so talk a little bit about where you were at at this time and you and Kelly communicating. Okay. Um, yeah, that, that was really good. We were communicating. Uh, Jim and I went to visit them in Portland and um, took the three, the, the three kids off to the beach one day and had a nice time with them. And um, so, yeah, everything was fine with us. Um, and, then, um, and then I knew that his cancer was getting worse uh, and that they weren't having any real success. He had a, um, a vitamin C uh, permanent um, thing in his arm. So he could get that. There were all sorts of things that he was trying and I hoped for all of those, but I, I really didn't believe that, that he would be, that he would be healed. And he had blessings that said it. And that was his patriarchal blessing. And I'm like, well, why do I not believe it? Is my lack of faith going to make Mark die? Like as if God would do that. But, but the Mormon God does do some mean things like sending handicapped children to parents so that the parents can learn lessons and things like that. So you can't help but wonder when you're a Mormon if that thing is going to happen in your case, right? So anyway, um, our kids, uh, our two youngest teenagers, our, our daughter was married and our son was 18 and being a teenager. And so we decided now would be a good time to go on a mission. He was 18 and out on his own. And uh, so that's what we decided. And I really did have in mind that God would see the sacrifice that we made and he would allow our son-in-law to live. I don't know why I believed that, but I, but I did. I thought that I had that kind of power, that I was a good enough person, a good enough Mormon, that I tried so hard that, that God would not take Mark uh, because I was being so faithful and Kelly was faithful. Our whole family were members of the church. We'd all done what we needed to do. And so I really thought that, you know, maybe my sacrifice would do something. I, uh, I loved Mark a lot. He was a great son-in-law, a great dad, a great husband, really, really loving to Kelly. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he had a sweet nature. He would leave her little love notes each day before he went off to work. And he was just the sweetest man. And I, I wanted him to live for all of us. I wanted him not to die. Right. So when he did, it, it was, it was heart-wrenching. Somebody just pulled the rug of faith out from underneath all of us. Our whole family was like, how did this happen? You know, well, and Jean, did... talk about where you were at. So now we're going to go back to your story because oh, you put in, in your papers. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and you're thinking, okay, uh, we're going to go on a mission, you know, and we're going to put in our papers. We're going to go on a mission. The Lord's going to see how faithful we are. So you do that. And so then now move a little bit into your story where you're, you feel like, you know that Kelly's going through a lot, but you have the faith that this is going to be your 
your gift to her and Mark and the family to put in your it papers. It sounds so arrogant, doesn't it? Yeah, it but no, it's so it's it's exactly what we're taught. It's completely what we're taught. So so talk a little bit about that then. So you put in your papers, you get your call. You're like, I've this obviously is the, the Lord hearing your prayers because as you mentioned, you'd always wanted to go to Africa. Yeah, and I always wanted to go to Africa. And we got a call to go to South Africa. And our stake president, when he set us apart, um, said these words. He said, if anything happens while you're on your mission, don't come home. If anything bad happens, don't come home. And um, so, so that stuck in my mind. And uh, I thought it was to do with Mark. You know, so, so I thought, okay, if anything happens to Mark, we're not supposed to come home. But then on our second day, uh, we had that accident on the way home in the mission van. And so then I'm like, well, maybe it meant that. And so I won't go home. We won't go home. And we were really hurt anyway. It would have been horrible to travel. And yeah. So, and remind so the listeners about that accident because that was horrific. Okay. And the timing is insane. So remind it everyone is, about that. It is insane. Yeah. So Ooh. we had just just traveled 32 hours to get to Cape Town from the MTC. And um, when we got there and we were just exhausted and everything, we had a general conference broadcast that night. And we came home and the next day it was all, all day and right till about eight o'clock in the evening. And uh, the mission president said, well, we didn't have a vehicle yet because we just arrived. The mission president said, come in the mission van with us because you're staying at the mission home. So that makes sense. So we said, okay. And we were in the very back of the van and um, this young driver, new driver in another car had come over out of his lane and hit us. And so we did a, a roll possibly a somersault, I don't know. Anyway, my husband's neck was broken and I had all kinds of uh, broken bones and injuries and stuff like that. So we were in pretty rough shape and I was desperate to talk to my children. I was, when I got home from the hospital, I was so desperate to talk to them, to have somebody who loved me to, to care that I was going through this. And I went, I can't phone Kelly. I can't phone her because she's going through hell herself. I can't do this. And so I, I phoned Vicky, our younger daughter, and, and talked with her. The reason that you think to phone your oldest daughter is the same one that my mom had with my older sister. It's like, they're your first daughter. And so they're the ones that become that female friend in your life as they grow up. They become that friend. And she she couldn't be the friend that I talked to, but Vicky is my friend too. So she was able to talk to me and help me to feel a little bit better, um, not physically, but emotionally. And she filled me in on what was happening with Mark, I think, at the time. And so then, then it's like, okay, well, we just have to get better. And it was, that was um, 
April 8th, 7th. And um, on July 4th is when Mark died. So, so it wasn't very long at all. And then I was really confused about why God was doing this to us when we were so faithful. Why was he allowing all of these bad things to happen to us? Right. But they did. They did. Is there something else you wanted to get out no, of that? No, that, that's exactly what I want, that, to help people understand the timeline that, that you know, you're already... You're, you're feeling two emotions at the same time. You're feeling guilty that you're not there with Kelly, but then you're feeling like, yes, but if I do, I can do this. I can serve this mission. And if, the, because I, I'm not a doctor, you're not a chemotherapy doctor, you're, but I could do this. I can serve this mission. And so you're like, okay, okay, we can do this. And, and so you, you, you go, and then you are in a terrible car accident. And now you are, I can't call her. I can't burden her with our problems now because she's got enough of her own. And, and then, like you say, it, this is where my whole, I was just talking with someone the other day, when people say everything happens for a reason, I have to use every ounce of mature strength. I have not to punch them in the throat because what kind of a God does this to people to show them how valiant they were to test them? I mean, this whole test thing is just so so just unbelievably crazy. And so, you know, here you are, like you say, and then, okay. So, and then you're, you get there in April, you're in a horrible car accident. And then on July 3rd, you go in for surgery to repair. No, no, no. Okay, go, fix, fix. <laughs> it, was, it was July. I had this, I mean, June, I had the surgery oh, okay. on the 29th. Okay. The new, the new mission president came on July 3rd. So I had to get him up to speed, you know, what happens in the mission office, all that stuff, because that was part of my job. And then um, the next day was when Mark died and I got that call from Kelly. So even then you can't even take time out of your schedule to grieve or to be with your daughter or your family, because now you've got to get the new mission president up to up to speed on how, how a mission works. And uh, so, yes. again, put your family on the back burner. Family always on the back burner. You're going to serve the Lord, but your family will be blessed. But but put them put them far far down here. So okay. So Kelly, you're getting you're getting the phone call, but you're also going through this. Is Mark has he's is he now in hospice? Nope. Um, <clears throat> no, uh, he was with me. Uh, well, actually, we went to Hawaii. <laughs> um, he got a bit of an, a life advance on his, he got an advance on his life insurance policy, and we uh, decided to take the kids to Hawaii because we'd been poor forever, and we mm. never got to take them anywhere nice or each other. So yeah. um, we went to Hawaii, and we tried to cross some stuff off his bucket list. So we rented a, a convertible, and uh, we did a dolphin cruise and helicopter tour and all these cool things that he always wanted to do. And um, he got, he, he got really sick over there. That's like such a statement because before we left, he had no working um, liver. Wow. He was already young. Um, his doctor had a liver. And he, you know, if I get sick, I'll just come home. And he goes, what you, if you get sick, like you're, yeah. you're already about, to you're, you're sick. <laughs> yeah. Dead. Like, yeah. 
no one should be a little sicker there. And he kind of seemed to rally at first. And we were like, oh, this is it. Here's our miracle. He just needed to come to Hawaii. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then after a few days, it started to go downhill. And his abdomen got really filled with fluid and could even come to the really bad memory lapses. We lost our tickets to come home and he hadn't lost them. He was just confused because his bilirubin count was just off the charts. So um, we finished our, our holiday, which was about two, two weeks or 10, I think. Um, when we came home, he said, Kelly, the pain is really bad. I can't, I can't manage it anymore. And he had always been able to manage it because like I said, he didn't feel pain and he was like so strong anyway, he just could deal with it. So his pain killers were so three and five vehicle. Um, so it was really quite low. And he said, I, I can't walk. I'm in too much pain. Please take me. Yeah, I had to drive, which he always drove, even home from his own surgery. So um, I knew we were in a bad situation. And we got there, and they said, we need to drink. And, okay. And then they said, you have to stay overnight. And went, oh, okay. <laughs> and then um, they came into his room and said, you need to phone your family because you're going to die tonight. So you need to say oh goodbye. No, like, we're wearing our luau clothes no um and so we had to phone everybody and everyone who could came to see him and say goodbye um which she said was incredibly depressing and then mm -hmm. um he didn't die still for like two and a half weeks yeah. <laughs> he just refused yeah so uh yeah that so i was there like basically living with at the hospital right. um my mom is going through all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So th that's amazing. So, Gene, you're getting this. You're getting this phone call. You're still working. You're also trying to heal, and 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 you're you you have to have uh, surgery to repair the the damage that was done of the car accident. Um, so you get the phone call that he finally passed, and where do you go from there? And Kelly. What would you, what, and I, I know you were supporting your mom. You were like, no, no, don't come home. Don't come home. This is, you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yes. So, yeah. So Jean, talk, talk about where you were at mentally uh, with all of this going on. The family's gathering, people are gathering and you're showing the new mission president, the kitchen in the mission home. You must've felt like, oh. Oh. Well, what we did on the Saturday when it was Mark's funeral, there was an older couple in our, in our mission, and we went with them to a beach. Mark had had some dreams about uh, surfing with dolphins and, uh, or, or swimming with dolphins that Kelly had told me about on one of our calls. And um, so... <clears throat> I thought, well, going to the beach feels like the right thing to do, you know, to, to celebrate Mark's birthday. He loved the ocean. He'd just been in Hawaii before that. So this couple and, and us, we went to the beach and we talked about Mark. And I had um, a rose 
<laughs> Sorry, it's so hard to talk about it without choking. Um, I had the I had a rose that I threw into the waves, and I called that goodbye, Mark, because I wasn't with them and I couldn't do it with my family. So so we did our own little memorial, just talking about him and throwing the rose into the water and saying goodbye, and then. Basically, I mean, that was Saturday, so we had the day off, and Sunday we went to church. But I, there's, there's one thing that I want to share about this. After I got the call from Kelly, um, I phoned the mission president and said, my son-in-law just died, and uh, he said, do you want to come over? Like, he'd only moved into the mission home the day before. Do you want to come over? And, and I said, yeah, because I wanted a blessing. And um, so, so I went over there and uh, told him about it. And I was really tearful. He didn't seem to have any compassion. He just seemed to be just accepting the news like it was just something that I was telling him that it happened. And he says, sorry, Sister Bodie. And he puts his arm around and does this on the shoulder that had just had the surgery sorry sister Bodhi. you know the one arm yeah. hug because mormons can't hug each other face on yeah. right because that yeah. wouldn't be appropriate yeah. so so he did that and the next day when i went into the mission office we had a couple of young elders working in the office to help out because we were having such a hard time keeping up with our injuries and stuff mm. and um so this one elder, elder, well, both of them, I love them both. They were just like a couple of sons to me, right? And it was nice to have some kids to, to be around because I wasn't around mine. And um, Elder Smith was his name. And um, he had obviously heard the news because he looked at me and, and I could tell by his expression that he just wanted to give me a big son hug, right? Mm -hmm. And all I could do was put my hand on his shoulder and squeeze just to get some human comfort from this boy because there is no like nobody to take you in their arms and hug you and just you know make you feel better right. and I knew that back home Kelly was going through that same kind of trauma that same right. it well even worse for her yeah. I was going through it for her yeah. And because it was sad that Mark died and she was going through it for herself, for her kids. And she knew what was happening with us. So yeah. it was a horrible time. And I couldn't go home, not only because I wouldn't be able to go back, but partly because of the um, injury. Yeah. You know, I just had this surgery. Yeah. And I had to help the mission president get started. And we didn't have anywhere to stay. None of our kids had big homes or anything yeah, like that. Right. They put us in, in a comfortable bed after we were so injured. Right. And we were renting out our place. So we knew there was nowhere to go. So right. we made the decision based on all those other things right. that I've talked about, that we would not go home again. We didn't yeah. go home after our surgery and we didn't go home after Mark died. And a lot of people, not a lot of people, a few people said to me, I don't know how you could do that. Yeah. How you could not go home and be with your daughter. Yeah. And I felt guilt. Yeah. And I talked to 
Ellie about it. And she said, Mom, I don't hold you responsible no. for, for that. You know, like I, I wanted you to go on a mission. I wanted you to be faithful and stay. Right. I, I think, Jean, the, the part that is the hardest for me listening to both of your stories is the idea, and I've heard this on other things, that um, you're not allowed to grieve and you're not allowed to acknowledge trauma. And it's, it's absolutely completely ignored and you're always given this super story that, that is supposed to get you through. There is no sadness, there is no grief, get over it, he's with God. Uh, he was, it was meant to be, God needed him more than, than you all needed him. Whatever the stories are, it is put there to eliminate your grief, you know, just like you were saying that mission president, uh, look what you're doing. You're serving the Lord. Get over it, get over it, get over it, get over it. It's always just get over it because, because this is the plan of salvation. This, you know, there will be an eternal life. This life, the time that you are acknowledging, because it's the only life we all know, is just nothing. Everything is supposed to be the next life, the one that we don't know anything about and the past life, which we also don't have any memories of. This life has given zero recognition for the only thing we know. And I think that's the part that just not being able to let you grieve authentically is, this, is one of the saddest teachings that the church indoctrinates people with. And then, like you say, most other people would be like, what do you mean you stayed in South Africa? And the other thing that when you said we had to have young people come in and help us because, I don't know, my husband's neck is broken. I've got a right. collarbone that's not where it's supposed to be and rib cage and leg that's not where it's supposed to be. But could you be at work tomorrow? I mean, what kind of a labor camp are we talking about here? It's absolutely inhumane. That was and the thing. When I would talk to my mom and she would tell me what they made her do. And what my dad had to do, and I know he's got a neck brace on, and I know how much pain she's in, and they're mad at her because she's not picking it up fast, but she's got a concussion, and they're yeah. being snarky with her. And I yeah. want to just phone and rip them a new butthole. Yeah. But of course I can't. That'd be wrong and, you know, unrighteous. And, right. you know, I don't want to do anything that's going to cause a problem either. It was infuriating. Yeah. It was really quite gutting to I mean anybody anybody with any kind of authentic empathy guys so, so mean to her they were so mean to her didn't they didn't need to be like that it could have been kind yeah Exactly. That's the idea. Any kind of anybody with any kind of humanity would have said you you both were very injured uh, the, your family is going through a lot of trauma. You need to go home. You need to go home. You've got the rest of your life to yeah. serve a mission. You come back in six months. Come back in six months, and we'll start over again. Because this is and, we'll, and we'll pay for you to do it, and we'll pay for you to stay in a hotel because you were faithful and you've paid your tithes all this time. Yes, you've been completely faithful yes. so we'll take care of these charges but they didn't take care of any charges i think i told you about the letter that we carried with us on our mission saying that should we be injured or ill or become incapacitated we would not be a burden 
on the South African government because right. the church was self-insured and we had insurance too, and that it would not be a problem. I've still got a copy of the letter, but we had to sue the South Africa Road Accident Fund, which is how it's done there. You sue a fund. So every time somebody buys um, gas for their car, some of that money goes into the road accident fund. So mm. you sue the road accident fund to get your money, right? And so the, the church in, lawyer wouldn't help me. I phoned Johannesburg and asked if, uh, if I could speak with the lawyer. And he said, well, I can help you with that, you know, like about getting a lawyer to take right. care of the money for the uh, hospital and all that stuff. I can't help you with that. So there was an ambulance chaser that had contacted us. And so we went with his lawyer, a South African lawyer, and we sued the South African Road Accident Fund. So we actually were a burden on the South African right. government. We actually right. were. And that's a well, poor country. It's not a rich country. Yeah. But not only that, you would think that part of the fact that you're doing this service completely with your own funds no one's paying you to do this no one's paying you to work an eight-hour day at the mission office and because you were canadian which is already a national health care program you had to purchase private insurance before you went to south africa how did that so so financially you're now taking on another financial burden and how do you get if you don't if you have national health care i'm not familiar because uh, I know in America, there's all these private insurance companies. Um, but how did you buy private insurance to cover it, whatever while you were in South Africa? Because like you say, you have to sign a document, carry it with you that says, I will not be a burden to the South African government for health care. You're not allowed to seek their national health care program. So how did you get any, what kind of health care did you have? Um, in, in Canada, is provincial. So we have provincial health care. And when, when we earn money, money comes out of our wages and goes into that. And then when we need health care, it just comes out of that fund, right? But if you travel, you might go to a place where costs are really high. Like if, if Jim and I come down to the U.S., our ins extra insurance is enormous, because yeah. we're both over 70. And um, so the, uh, well, Jim's 82. So, so the insurance costs would be so high, it makes coming down to the States prohibitive. But right. we had to buy it to go on a mission. South Africa has a, a it, um, I, don't, I can't think of the word, but their economy is um, different than ours. And so everything cost less when we went there. So we didn't move to a place like your parents where it cost right. an arm and a leg. We went to a place where we could afford it a little bit better. And that's what I put on our um, application to go on a mission that, that we needed a place that wasn't expensive because we were on a fixed income too, right? right. So um, I've, I've lost the train of thought about where we were going with that. Well, we, we were just talking about the financial. I mean, you, if you stay at home oh, yeah. in yeah. Canada, your, your medical yeah. expenses, like you say, it's like, it's like being on Medicare in the United States. You've worked it's for covered. so many years and now you, yeah, it's, it's covered. covered. So your medical expenses are covered. and But now you've chosen to go on this volunteer service mission and you will have no medical. That's the thing that I think is so ironic. It's like, look, you can go through 
you, if you take care of yourself pretty well, you can go through your young years, your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, and you're probably not going to have to have a lot of medical debt. Now, Kelly, this is kind of an ironic saying that to you, yeah. but you know, statistically, uh, most people stay pretty much like I haven't seen a doctor in 20 years, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s. But when you hit 60, Obviously, that's when things start breaking down a little bit and your medical costs are going to go up. And that's when people are serving these service missions. And now they're saying, please leave. The, if you leave the United States, you will not have Medicare. You have to purchase private insurance that will cover you internationally, which is a cost to you, which is what you had to do. Right. Yeah. Well, they suggest when they send you the letter, the church, this is they tell you that, um, you can buy insurance from the church. Right. Because oh. they've got their own company. Yeah. Right? I think it's called and, the and uh, Senior Service the Medical Plan. I, I, yeah. yeah. I, I looked, I looked it up. I looked at the cost and I looked at the cost of some other plans. And we, we got the cheaper one. We didn't buy the church one because no. it was expensive. Yeah. So we, we got a cheaper one. And then this was the problem. We were transferred after nine months. So we weren't in Cape Town anymore. And our insurance company would only accept original copies of the medical documents, you know, like saying that we had surgery and they use this and they use that. They would only accept original copies. And we weren't there in Cape Town. So we're trying to contact while we're working, we're trying to contact the hospital and the doctors and the surgeons in Cape Town to say we need original copies for our insurance. And it took so long to do that. By the time we had sent it all in to the insurance company, a year had passed <gasps> and they wouldn't pay the claim. <gasps> they, they wouldn't pay it because it was a year. And, and so, um, we were glad that we had sued the road accident fund because we had some money, but we had to borrow money from our ward at home no. in Sherwood Park. We had to borrow money to pay the hospital bills because we didn't have enough to do that. And then when we got the money from the lawsuit, then we paid back our ward. The oh. church claimed that we didn't pay back the ward <gasps> and i i phoned i phoned the um secretary the executive secretary and said you must have something on the computer that yeah. shows that we paid this yeah. you know yeah. and he said well i can't do that because you're in a lawsuit with the church which i was because after i realized how poorly we've been treated i decided to sue them for that money right right, right. for that money that we we'd had to pay out because it, it meant that we got very little from our claim because South Africa, you get less because they, they right. don't have that high cost of living. So it right. was about $40,000 and I had to pay back 12,000 something to the ward and, you know, didn't leave a lot. And then we had to move to a place that had an elevator because right. of our injuries we didn't have the same strength that we had when we left. Right. We were in a walk-up apartment right. and you had to walk down to go to the washing machines and stuff. And I couldn't carry all that stuff anymore because my hands and my arms and stuff were too sore. Right. So we, we moved into a place that had an elevator. That's where we are now. I see. And um, yeah, so 
Completely life-changing. <laughs> there was, it wasn't. And they lied when I was trying to sue them. They lied about it. They had right. a lawyer and he stood up there and said that the church said that we didn't pay them back. And I'm like, I can't even prove it. You know, like there's nothing I can do. I can't, I can't get them to pay me. And I had this idea that I wanted to pay back the road accident fund. Right. Because I felt guilty that we, yeah. we had done that. And right. it's only recently talking to Kelly that I realized we didn't do that. The church right. did that. Right. They and the that. fact they that they would even back South Africa. Right. It, it, yes. Thank you. Exactly. They should have said, let us pay that fund back mm -hmm. because you were out here volunteering for us. We have, I don't know, 150, 200 billion dollars. We don't know what to do with. Mm -hmm. And part of that is going to be covering yeah. medical costs for any mission missionaries. Yeah. I, it, it makes me wonder about these, the young missionaries that are, you know, beat up, kidnapped in horrible car accidents and things like that. Are the families also paying for those medical expenses out of their pockets? And uh, just the idea that the, that the, the senior do. service medical have... plan is more expensive is amazing. What were you saying, Jean? The, the, the young missionaries have to have insurance too. They have to have yeah. medical insurance. Their parents yeah, get of that medical insurance for them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that being that the church is self-insured, they should cover mm -hmm. the missionaries with that money because they're exactly. self-insured. If exactly. anything happens, the church should pay it. Yeah. The people shouldn't have to buy insurance yeah. from the church that they're going to serve. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. it's just. It should be part of the program. It's like, it's look, double dipping. You're paying exactly. You're paying for your own food. You're paying for your own um, rent or whatever that you know. You're coming out here. You're you're serving free of charge, and um, the least we can do is cover you financially in case you need medical care. It's a crapshoot. Yeah, and let's see what probably, the letter infers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure statistically, so, I mean, the number of people that actually need any kind of catastrophic. And I love the way they say that they will cover catastrophic injuries, which is, they didn't you know, say that they didn't say catastrophic. Oh. They said, if anything should happen, uh, I, I forget, but it wasn't catastrophic. Right. They didn't say anything. Right. But it was catastrophic. Well, <laughs> yes, yeah, I would think so. God, it was horrible. So you, but here's the, the, so you, you, like you say, you're serving your mission while all of this is going on. So you're, you're getting a lawyer, you're trying to get original copies of paperwork that you can, you know, this is all stuff that has to be done on your own time after you've put in the, the day of work. And like you say, but you <laughs> stayed there in South Africa and served your, your entire mission, correct? Yep. Yeah. So then you came home two years. How long were you gone? 18 months, 18 months. Okay. So 18 months, you come home, you're in debt. You come home in debt because of the medical charges. Yeah. We're waiting for the, for the um, law yeah. firm to, to complete the thing and to send us the money. We're waiting for that. And, and you got like a piece of paper that said, thanks. We're so glad you came and served a mission. Thanks, but uh, don't call us. We'll call you. They got a card. Everybody signed it. <laughs> it sounds great. 
Free, free Toblerone chocolate. Got a letter. You got a letter of release. <laughs> no chocolates. Yeah, no, no chocolates. chocolates. No. Just a letter of release. Thanks. Don't call us no. anymore. Just you, a letter. Yeah, yeah. So the, it absolutely blows my mind. And I don't think... I want, I want to tell you, I want to share something. Please. So when we, when we came home and um, uh, Kelly... Uh, Kelly and I talked and then I had to drive by their house where they lived her and Mark and that's when I grieved fully yeah when when I when I drove past and saw that house and they weren't there anymore they didn't live there anymore and right. Mark was dead and it it like hit me like a ton of bricks that all of this had happened and I don't know, everything was, everything was sad and horrible. And um, there's a the long story. We went back to South Africa, Jim and I, to help people temporarily because we realized the church, I realized the church wasn't helping them in any way. And so we went back. And when we came back again is when all of this stuff started to, like, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. I started to find out things about the church from my son. And then I left the church and then I went, why was I so brainwashed into thinking all of these things that we did, you know, that Mark would be healed first of all, you know, no, he wasn't going to be healed. I'll go on a mission and God will bless us and him because I've gone on a mission. All of these things I started to go, I was brainwashed. Right. You know, I, I don't believe these things anymore. They don't make any sense to me anymore. Right. I was brainwashed. And then, then I went, and the church didn't help us. Right. It didn't help us. You know, it, we it didn't were in help such you. And as you said, you went back on your own to serve the people because they weren't helping the people. Because that's what either. I wanted to do. Yeah. I wanted to do that in the first place. And they're not helping. They're not helping anybody. Right. They're not doing any good for anybody. Right. You know, they're sending people to bug you at your door and stuff like that, you know, yeah. but, but they're not really doing any real good in the world. And so I decided that I was going to sue them for, for this thing that they had done, yeah. not, not paying for us, right. not, not helping us with a lawyer and all of right. those things. Right. I decided I was going to sue them, but it was totally unsuccessful, right? I mean, I just, you cannot fight the church unless no. you've got tons of money too. Exactly. You can't well, do it. Even, even tons of money. I don't know how far John Huntsman's brother got with his tithing lawsuit that he put in yeah. I and he's got more money than god and so i don't even know how far he got so no it's it's they're too big to fail it's that's <laughs> you know that's where they're at and so kelly um talk a little bit about you've gone through all of this your heart's broken you're confused um you've gone through the trauma your parents are now back and mom has has started to question the authenticity of the church and, and the, the doctrine, the things that it teaches. And it actually created a riff in your family. After all this trauma that's gone mm -hmm. on, there was a, there was a breakup mm -hmm. because of the belief. Talk a little bit about how, what happened there. Um, 
I had already moved um, three hours south by the time my, my mom was starting to question. I would leave her. And it, internet wasn't the same as it is now. Also, I lived on an acreage and we didn't even have the internet. So um, uh, I was fairly out of the loop. Um, I knew she was questioning, but I mostly heard it through rumors. Um, and uh, my older oldest brother, Sean, uh, he was sort of to protect me because um, there, there were pretty few rumors about my brother and my mom going around. And um, pretty embarrassing, really. Um, and people were starting to ask me, like, oh, are you going to turn out and, like, be like your mom and like be the antichrist kind of thing. And so um, I was like, no, I'm good. <laughs> no, I'm totally solid. Um, but I lived far away and I was quite sheltered from it. And I liked it that way. And I, I was really afraid that, that the same thing that I saw or heard, uh, I could see it too. And uh, my mom was like such a stalwart Mormon, like Nazi Amish Mormon, right? Sorry, mom. Um, she was, is, was. Anyway, and uh, so she, she had such, such strong story. She was married. She could make you feel the idea. And like, she was, she was like on fire almost. And if that could happen to her, it could certainly happen to me. And uh, I didn't want to. I didn't want to lose my faith because I would mean I would lose Mark also. Because um, I'm I was sealed to him, and I needed to stay perfect and righteous and do everything right so I could be with him again. And uh, losing my testimony was certainly not on the list of things that I was supposed to be doing. And so I didn't talk to her. Um, I was afraid if she sent me um, an email. She sent me a disc one time. Uh, I was nervous to even watch it. Um, because I was afraid she'd gotcha me with some information that would just rip the rug out from under me, underneath me. And um, I talked to my oldest brother, Sean, and he said, uh, what are you afraid of? And I explained that. And he said, oh, you know, it's, it's nothing new, Kelly. Like, it's the same bullshit you've heard forever. You've already heard it. Don't worry. And so I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it wasn't, it turned out it wasn't the same. Um, there was all sorts of new stuff I'd never even heard of. I didn't know Joseph Smith married a 14-year-old girl that he kind of raised as his daughter. I had no concept of that. I didn't know Brigham Young said those vile things. And so um, I just got to a point where I had to be willing to ask that big question, which is a sin in itself, is what if it's not true? What if my mom actually knows stuff that, you know, is true? And if I have to examine it, I'm going to change my entire perspective on the church and uh that was terrifying actually physically uh it was terrifying the thought of it made my stomach just wrench um but my desire to know the truth is was ultimately much stronger um and i my son was always trying to wake me up um and uh, I would say to him, like, we can talk about anything. Since he was 12, he would ask me questions about the church. And uh, I would be like my mom and give him, like, the best answer and hit the footnotes and my scriptures. And But he he was seeing stuff on the Internet. He just kind of kept coming at it. And uh, I said, anything, anything but the temple. I won't talk about what goes on in the temple. 
um, because they made a covenant and they can't. Uh, So he opened my eyes in a lot of different ways during that time. And then my mom came to stay with me for a few days and um, general conference had just happened. And the prophet said, if you have a gay son or daughter, their partner could cover for dinner, but they certainly shouldn't be be allowed to stay overnight. Um, Cause like, what would the neighbors think? And I, it made me, and as I reflected on it, I thought, is he so bitter? And then I thought, I'm so bitter that I think I'm a better parent than the prophet. She knows I'm questioning and she picks her words perfectly. And she says, wow, your, your, uh, your thoughts are really out of line with the prophet. There's nothing where she can no And then after a few days, I kind of healed up a bit. She was home and I called and I said, mom, I need to know the truth. I don't want to be anti-Mormon. But I don't want to go to Mormon. So I did. And I read every single topic. I think it took me about two days. I didn't eat or anything. And uh, I saved the temple till the very last uh, because I, I needed it to be true still, even if everything else was fake. Maybe Joseph Smith got that one bit right. Um, maybe Heavenly Father would still let me be sealed to Mark. Um, but obviously it was all not true either. And uh, so I had to lose him again. And it, it was kind of worse the second time because no one really knew. <laughs> and it was for forever that time, not just till I died. And uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't wish that kind of awakening on anybody, to be fair. So what what you're saying is you it's almost like you buried him again because it, it you had that story, you had that plan of salvation that was getting you through, that you would yes. see him again. You would be a, an eternal family. Yep. And now you're finding out that that's just made up and it's just a story that they, they tell you. And yeah. so now you're like, it's over. It, it really is over. Yeah. And, 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 and I think that's the part that people don't understand. It's not, it's not as simple as staying in the boat or doubting your doubts or, or, or all of this stuff. It's the reality of, of how life actually works. As adults, yeah. at some point, you go, this is how it works. Yeah. And how traumatic. Oh, yeah. I can't, I can't even. Actually, I found losing my faith, which, like I said, was losing Mark. But it was in so many ways worse than when he died. Mm-hmm. Because that, no, did, that did give you some hope. Yeah. I had no promise anymore. Um, I thought I wouldn't lose my faith in like heavenly father mm-hmm. uh i would stay at least doing that if the church wasn't true but then that started falling apart as well right um that version of god just it just doesn't work for me if he's so weak that he needs my husband more than me like what kind of a god would he be right uh, so not worthy of my worship certainly right that's i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i i i I was actually quite 
happy that I had already left the church before my son passed away because I didn't have to have, I mean, I had people that didn't know me that well, strangers on Facebook or Instagram that would put comments in they're praying for us or, or they'd say envision, this was my favorite envision him now running into the arms of Jesus. And I'm like, first of all, you don't know me. And uh, that's not what I believe. And I don't need that for comfort. What I need to know is he lived a great life while we had him. And we're so grateful that we had him. And I wish that that would have been more taught is be grateful for the people that you have around you, enjoy them while you have them so that when they pass on, you can be joyful for the memories that you have. That would have been enough, but they blow over that, this life, they blow this life over Mm -hmm. to nothing to where everything is based on eternity. And and then they hijack their death. They completely hijack their death. Like, it's it's just one other church service, um, yes. and you're not really supposed to cry really that much as a Mormon. And uh, I was at church the very next day. I got asked on a date the very next day at church. Okay. Yep. Alrighty. That's a whole nother podcast. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. There's no there's no time to grieve. Uh, none. Wow, that's amazing. So I, I think the most love, the loveliest thing about these, this talk that we've had today, ladies, is the, the, the pain that's been expressed from the faith that, that, that we all had and that it's not an easy thing. It's not a simple thing. It's not a light switch. It's not even a shelf breaking because that makes it sound like you were fine one day and the next day it just broke and you're like, okay, well sweep that up. It's such a life altering experience that it, it has to be felt. I don't think it it can even be verbalized. Um, and I'm so glad that Kelly, that you and, and Jean have, have, uh, you know, not that you were ever apart, but I, I love how you, you said how afraid you were because all I have left, I've lost love of my life. All I have left is this belief. Please don't take that away from me too. And so it caused a separation in family. How sad is that? You've got your mom back now, but now there's another, you know, fence that's been put up. How sad is that? Wow. Well, ladies, you, you've both been absolutely amazing. And Jean, thank you so much for bringing Kelly into my life. Um, what a joy that I've been able to hear your story and 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 uh, be privileged to hear your story and, and experience what you've gone through. It, uh, it's just touched me so much. And I, I'm really grateful for, you know, people talk about social media and we're constantly being told to stay away, stay away, stay away, unless they want to indoctrinate you with something else. And then please watch. Um, but it's times like this that I am so grateful for what social media does, bringing people together, sharing stories, sharing stories of grief, sharing stories of joy, sharing stories of love, um, change. That's what it's all about. And that's definitely what my, my podcast is all about. And you guys are just the absolute, you've just, you're, you're, you're my new pinnacle. (laughs) It's absolutely amazing. So thank you so much for sharing your story today. Can I say something before we end? Please, Jean. 
Okay. My husband said to me yesterday something he had been reading, and it was about uh, don't let anybody else tell your story. And um, that's why I think this is beautiful, is because we get to tell our own story about how we felt, ah. what hurt, why we did, blah, 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 instead of somebody else just assuming Oh, you didn't care. That's why you didn't go home. Oh, you, uh, you know, you abandoned your mom when she left the church. No, she's telling why she did that. You know, right. we get to tell our own stories because they're our stories exactly. and nobody else has the right to tell our stories. Thanks for giving us the chance to do That's that. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. That's absolutely mm -hmm. beautiful. And that is what this this and many of the other podcasts are about are allowing people to tell their stories and not letting other people tell what they think your story should be. It's beautiful. That was beautiful. Right. Thank you so much. Thank so, you. Well, what a wonderful way to, to end this week. Uh, you guys, I hope that you find a way to find joy next month in a couple of weeks. You've got July coming up, which is going to bring back a lot of these feelings again, but I hope you can, can find a way to have it be a more joyful experience than it was 21 years ago. Thank you. Yeah. So we, thank you. We always we always celebrate on the fourth. We do. Oh, that's that's excellent. And another thing, do you do it through social media? Because you're all kind of separate a little bit. You and Jean are closer together now, right? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Twenty minutes away. Yeah. Physically. Okay. Physically, yeah. you're but yeah, that's fabulous. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Um, and I've been so I. Yeah. But maybe we'll do something and, this year. I don't know. We haven't talked about it. Okay. We're having a picnic on the Saturday, remember, the Sunday, remember, right after that? That'll be our day. Oh, that's beautiful. And Kelly, I'm sure we could do another podcast. I'd love to talk about, you know, your uh, your children when Mark passed away as far as, you know, where, where they were and, and how this whole thing has affected their lives. Because, you know, we're not, we're not um, isolated. We, we all have family, we all have people that are that our lives intersect with and nothing happens in a bubble. And, and like you said, your mom's experience affected you and Kelly's experience affected Joan. And, and now you guys have shared your life with me and it's affected me in such a beautiful way. And so I think we might have another podcast coming up in, in, next, in next month. <laughs> so, all right. Thank you so much, ladies. I'm Take sure we'll, we'll be together again. Bye-bye. All right. You know, I, I, I had something planned. I wanted to end the podcast with a broadcast. Um, um, but uh, Kelly and Jean's words were, were so great. I don't know if I want to throw it away with some other crazy thing from a, a general authority or a 70 that was made. But a couple of months ago, one of the general authorities um, asked if seniors would consider serving two missions that one is not enough. Would you possibly consider two? And oh, it's like, when is enough enough? You know, my husband and I, now that our son has passed on, my husband and I are truly empty nesters. He's been retired for five or six years now. And so we truly have our, our lives, you know, we have beautiful children that are raising beautiful grandchildren and they're all doing well. And so we have the freedom to kind of come and go. And I, it scares me almost to think that um, if our son, uh, 
had not had the disabilities that he had. And he had, I mean, he was 37 when he passed on. If he would have been like our other children, independent, working with his own family, and we were both still members of the church, I'm sure we'd be serving a mission right now. And that thought scares me. It, it's a gift that I believe our son actually gave us is um, we kind of always knew that we would never be able to serve a mission because we were his caregivers. And then after he passed on, I, I had already left the church. So that's not a possibility. So now my husband and I get to spend the rest of our lives together uh, with our family and not separated, not risking our lives or, or having to not be able to mourn with those that mourn. Something to think about. So thank you for joining me today on She Became Visible. Um, I hope that this, that Jean and Kelly's story has touched you in some way that has made you just think a little bit about sacrifice and how much sacrifice is requested and whether there is um, a need for that much sacrifice. So thank you so much for spending this amount of time with me today. Thank you.